0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at dot com. This podcast is brought to
1: you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. Make your email address part of your personal brand with a new email address from Hover. Get yours today at Hover.com slash Hover. This week on TWiP, Kodak is selling off billion dollar patents, future camera technology, and a roundtable discussion on image backup strategies. It's Saturday, August 6th, 2011, and this is TWiP. And welcome back to Twip. I am your host Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Mister Derek Story, Mister Alex Lindsay, and finally back on the show Mister Tyler Ginter. Hey guys, hello. Nope. All, right, all right, first off, let's go from the let's go backwards, forwards. Tyler, uh, where have you been? You've been running around doing James Bond thing, doing photos, and all this crazy stuff. Give us a quick update on what you've been up to.
2: Yeah, well, I started freelancing after I got out of the army. Boy, this summer, this spring, I things have just flown by, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh, just been traveling, doing some time lapse jobs, and some working with a production company in New York City, where I'm living now, and shooting a lot of photography and video, and it's been great. Uh, freelancing is a different, a whole different ballpark than a nine to five, but I'm enjoying it so far. So, any freelance photographers out there, or anybody thinking about freelancing, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot. It's it's very uh, uh, scary when you jump into it, but it's definitely a, a great lifestyle if you can if you can make it.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. So you know you're you you went from being a cog in the wheel to being the wheel, right? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I work the hours I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A wheel on your own terms. I love it. That's very cool. And Derek stories on the show. Hey, Derek. Uh, I understand that you have just returned from a trip down to Southern California. What were you doing down there?
3: I just rolled into town. Yeah, I was down at Linda, and we just recorded a new title, one that I've been working on for a year. So I'm so happy we finally got into the studio on it. Wow! Uh, what was and, the title? Uh, I was I was waiting for that. Wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, that was a
1: nice that was a nice pause to wait for the host to ask you the leading <laughs> question. <laughs>
0: Uh, and then you, of course, then you ruined it by 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 giving everybody the the inside baseball <laughs> as if, as if they don
1: 't know come on right? yeah, exactly. our audience is is smarter than we are
3: yeah I think that 's definitely true uh anyway uh organizing and archiving your digital photos oh and what 's so exciting about it it 's platform agnostic and it 's software agnostic, so we do everything we do uh. F- at the Finder level, you know, just basic organizational stuff: Windows, Mac, Lightroom, Aperture, uh, all sorts of different hard drive devices. It's really, it's a hoot. I mean, I'm totally. But is, it, about is
1: it. it is it is it just it kind of just go over what the overall state of the industry is or am, like for me, this is a like a personal selfish question. What I'd want to know is, okay, I have this thing, this thing, this thing. How do I weave it all together and how are the pros doing it so that I at least know I'm doing something right? Because we have all these cool pieces, but where's
3: the thread to weave it together? Exactly. And, and that's what I try to do is we try to, to provide a scenario that makes sense for a beginner and for intermediate person. And then we have some stuff in there for pros too. Uh, I would say geared more for the beginner and intermediate, but the thing is, I talked to a lot of photographers who are great photographers who do not have their act together in terms of having their 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 stuff organized. You'd be so,
1: surprised, right? They make their living with this stuff and they don't back it up, right?
3: Yeah, well, you know, you know where I really got insight on that is when I was working at the Beijing Olympics in the main press center there, and I was helping photographers you know in the press center uh, deliver the their jobs and they would come in and I said okay so what system are you using here da 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 over half of i mean these are world class shooters over half of them just had some sort of hokey system that they thought of way back when that they hadn't improved upon and really were not organized yeah. and it, it, the light went on for me is i mean this is this is a universal problem from beginner all the way through pro
1: and as we as we get into the show i want to talk to each of you guys about what your individual storage backup strategies are just to just kind of gloss over it because I know what mine is and I think mine is okay it's been working but I would love to hear what what I'm doing wrong or right (laughs) you know from that perspective
3: I have a few thoughts too yeah
1: (laughs) and also you heard his voice uh Alex Lindsay's on the show hey Alex hey how's it going it's going well. How are you doing? Last time I saw you, we were in your
0: backyard sitting at a picnic table, rifling through our bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was fun. Uh, and that, that that by the way, that video should go up uh, very soon. And so, um, and what was that video? Uh, that was the Twip Live. And so we've got two Twip Lives in the can. And we had we had to color correct a little bit of the first one that Derek was on with us. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we, I think that one's done. And I think it's actually uploading uh, today. And then uh, and we'll we'll post. Uh, We'll post some stuff to the Twitter feed and to uh, to dot uh, com. Uh, and but yeah, we were we were uh, uh, making lemons out of lemonade. I mean making lemonade out of lemons. What um, were the lemons a, though? The lemons were the, the, uh, that the that AT and T had not finished the bandwidth in the new studio, and so we suddenly didn't have any bandwidth. And so um, so we had lots of bandwidth in my house. So we uh, we did it in the backyard, and it was fun. It was <laughs> literally it was, uh, in the backyard. <laughs> it was literally the backyard. Although we turned like one of my rooms into a complete you know, control station. You know, so it's had it had all the mixers and sound and everything else. So it was it wasn't quite as edgy as uh, as we used to do it. But yeah, um, you
1: guys you gotta you gotta understand this. This is like you would think like, okay, they just shot it in Alex's backyard. They set up a camera and a tripod and a video light or something. Yeah. No. When I showed up at Alex's house, it was Alex and I on the show. I was expecting something modest. And they were like a dozen people running around. Like, it was like a movie set. Like we're getting ready to film a scene from some some yeah, Hollywood a, movie in your backyard. I mean, we a, it was, Yeah, it. we had
0: a full live switcher and uh, all the sound and lights, or some lighting, and uh, we also had... a uh, um, you had a
1: steady cam for
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, we had a steady cam there 's that too, so so anyway, yeah, so we, we you know we we use the, the the live streams are really opportunities for us to kind of um, you know cut our teeth on on uh, production and and figure out what we want to do and and uh, uh, go into new challenges we uh, right now, actually, I'm I'm actually taking some time off. One of the other guys is teaching. We're starting our new training courses, and so we're doing our alpha testing in the office at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's what I'll be going back to after the show. But uh, we're um, basically starting this new training program, and so that's all kind of part of that part of that program.
1: Very cool. Lots of stuff going on. Lots of yep. stuff. All right. Before we get into the news, I want to pass along something from our friends over at hundred cameras dot I got an email, and I think it was a couple days ago. And uh, just let, let me read a passage from the email to you. It says, um, our 100 cameras photographers are live at St. Bartholomew's Orphanage with 100 other children due to the aftermath from the Sudanese Civil War and the current drought in East Africa that killed all vegetation on the farm, all food, firewood, and other necessities must be imported from Uganda. The orphanage relies on one truck to make this happen. But last week, the truck broke. And our children are left in dire need of these lifeline supplies. So the photographers are there. They got a broken truck. There's a bunch more. We're going to put a link to the show notes um, on what is going on over there. But, you know, Tyler is on the show, and he is involved with 100 Cameras. I thought he could give us some some more insight into what's going on here, how photographers can help, and also just like a glimpse into what 100 Cameras is and what they're doing
2: yeah and i know we 're going to have hopefully Angela come on and talk more because she 's really kind of the source of all information in hunter cameras and just a brilliant uh, uh, volunteer there yep. but but basically um, you know our the whole mission of hunter cameras is to help kids around the world and get and empower them with the, the art of photography and as we all know um, this just photography has an extreme power and, and we just finished another project in Cuba um, we're going to continue doing projects around the world and just giving kids a chance to have cameras. And this, it's unfortunate what took place in, in Sudan. And, uh, those are actually some of the kids that we've had, we've trained up and given cameras to. So if you go to the website and and if you feel you uh, need to, you know, if you have some extra money to donate or you want to purchase a print, all that money is going to go back to those kids. And it's just a cool way to have a memory on your wall and, and, and understand that you're, of something bigger very so. cool
1: very cool thanks tyler i'm gonna yeah you're right i'm gonna have angela on i think it's gonna i was thinking about having her on as a one of the guest inserts on this episode but yeah, i think it's going to be a, a deeper kind of conversation so i think we'll just re-interview her and kind of get it i update. think that'd be
2: great because there's a lot of new things going on behind the scenes and uh, we really appreciate all the twip community because the Twip community is just so strong behind 100 cameras and it's a really really cool thing so i really appreciate everybody's support
0: yeah absolutely and it doesn't take much. I mean, when they're looking for $2,000, I mean, we have a lot of listeners. If everyone, uh, you know, if not, it doesn't need to be everyone. If uh, one, out of, uh, one out of ten <laughs> yeah. gave yeah. a dollar, that would be, that'd be pretty much it. You know, so it's, it's, uh, uh, it doesn't take very much to, to do that. So, um, so definitely think about jumping on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, depending on how much you donate, you get a print out of it. So it's not like you, you know. That's... I would just buy a print. Yeah. You know, buy something to get it. I mean, an $8 print, you know, just, just buy a print. I'm going to buy a print. Yep. So am I. All right, Alex, you're in a roll. Who's our sponsor for this week? Our sponsor, uh, one of our sponsors, is audible.com. And, uh, you know, this is such an easy ad because it's, um, you know, I use so much Audible. <laughs> uh, so, audible.com, of course, is, you know, 75,000 downloadable titles, everything from literature, fiction, nonfiction, periodicals. Uh, it is, uh, it's really, really easy to, um, you know, this is the future of reading books and as far as I'm concerned. I know I'm a little bit forceful about that but i don't you know i don't really believe in in uh using up my i don't like to unitask when it comes to absorbing information so uh i like to you know this is the way for me uh to really listen to books and so i you know i use i still read technical manuals um that's that's a good use for for books um but i mostly even that's now ebooks and um and the uh uh the um, so, anyway, so, so, but the thing is, is when I'm trying to get through a long book, I just don't have the time in the day. I think a lot of us have this problem. You know, we are very busy. There's a lot of things for us to do, a lot of things for us to worry about. And you just want to have, but you still want to read those books. You still want to get that information. And Audible just makes it really, really easy to do that. So you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. Uh, and if you haven't done it already, I mean, this is this is kind of nuts not to go up there. It's free. You can go up there and get a free audiobook if you haven't done it already. Um, and uh, you just go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. You can download one. Um, the one that I'm I'm actually uh, uh, re listening to is a uh, right now. I'm kind of going through it. It's interesting. We're talking about uh, hundred cameras. I'm listening to it. it's called A Thousand Hills by Stephen Kinzer, mm-hmm. and uh, it's the second time I'm listening to it. It's it's about Rwanda, and so it's it is both difficult. It's really about the stuff that happened in Rwanda, but also the stuff that has happened after the war. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that's a little hard to listen to. And then there's a lot of stuff that's really inspiring and interesting and fascinating about the inside scoop of what a lot of the stuff, uh, a lot of what's happened there that you want, you're not going to see on the news. Uh, and um, it's just a really great inside. I do, I do, um, we're doing a fair bit of work in Rwanda right now. And so um, I feel like it's important for me to really understand the you know, um, the context of what I'm, I'm working inside of. And so, uh, that's why I'm listening to it, but I, but it's a great, it's a very well-written book. Um, you know, I think that it's, it gives you a really, uh, unique, uh, um, uh, perspective on Kagami and, uh, and the situation there. And anyway, so that's what I'm listening to, but you don't have to, if you don't like listening to that kind of stuff, there are 75,000 other titles. So go up there and check it out. Audible com slash twip and uh and download your first uh, free audible book
1: very cool all right thanks alex all right the first story that we're going to dive into is about kodak remember them um, they turned didn't out. Didn't they?
0: Didn't they do something with cameras? <laughs> I mean, it was like I, I, they it was were a long...
1: involved. This Kodak moment thing is all a fad. Yeah, I they was, like, What's like... this
0: film thing?
1: Yeah, know. yeah. I heard
0: that they were. Oh, what was that? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Where we now are, just, are now. We're just being mean.
1: Like who's who's? Before we get into the story, who is the Kodak of today? Like right now, is it Apple? Is Apple the Kodak that's driving uh-huh. digital imaging? Who's the Kodak? Like who's who's synonymous with photography? What company is there one?
3: I don't. I don't I really think there's can't. one company.
1: Yeah, you see that? There's room. So Derek, you could yeah. start a company that becomes synonymous with photography. Look at that. I mean, I mean, Paul, Paul Simon.
0: Paul, Paul Simon wrote a very popular song all based on just Kodak products. Don't take my Kodachrome right? Yep.
1: Don't take my Kodachrome away. Right? away. Yeah. Kodachrome. Yeah. Yeah,
0: so, uh, uh, and I, you know, I grew up uh, developing a lot of Kodachrome because mm-hmm. I'm old enough. All, I think all of us are old enough to have done it. At least a little bit. Not Tyler. So, Tyler. No, uh, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tyler's looking kicking dirt, looking at his shoes over there. <laughs> He's like, I-, I never heard of deck dog. So uh, what is this stuff? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> well, anyway, Kodak looks like they may be selling off some of their patents uh, in the middle of this legal battle that they have going on with with Apple, and this one pertains specifically to pre- the preview image. I'm not exactly sure what. I was trying to read through this. Alex, I was hoping you could help me dive into this. What is this?
0: Well, I mean, it, there's a lot of patents. It's kind of hard to. Do- you don't need to dive into any one um, piece of this. The, the bottom line is, is that there's, a, you know, there are a lot of patents that are going on um, uh, that the codec is is protecting. You know, a lot of these companies. It's, it's basically a um, a general process that in a large company, that anytime you come up with a new idea, that you um, you basically te- you patent it. And, and you do – you, you kind of have to. You, you, everyone thinks that, oh, you know, this is the problem with the system. But the problem really is that you can't get around it. If you don't do that, someone else is going to tell you you can't do it. Look at Google. Google, Google was a little arrogant. Um, when it comes to, as they built stuff, they just didn't really patent everything as much and they didn't look at what was patented. And Now Android is in all kinds of mess because um, because there's a lot of things that are crossing other people's patents. And so Kodak, like any other company, um, has patented many, many things over the years. Uh, and it's kind of, a, as I said, a standard process that you, um, that you just kind of patent things as you're working uh, and as you come up with it. It doesn't mean, necessarily mean you're going to do anything with it. But what happens is that... Uh, you know, they've gotten a lot of royalties out of these because ha- generally you're not stopping other people from doing it. You're just making sure that you're getting something out of it. So you're getting a royalty. Uh, you're getting, you know, you uh, created it first and you get a royalty for X amount of years. It's not, you know, cat- patents don't last forever. Um, and so uh, so anyway, so the uh, the royalties have generated $838 million. Um, you know, uh, There's a lot of money in this patent stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And that was just in 2010. So, um, they, you know, and that's out of the 7.2 billion that Kodak, I don't even know where Kodak is still generating revenue, but they've generated $7.2 billion in 2010 and, um, uh, 10% of it or a little over 10%, 12 or 15% was just from people paying to use their patents. And so, uh, what they're looking at now, of course, is, um, is the idea of uh, selling off some of those patents, which a lot of these companies that have, have kind of gone by the wayside to some degree, uh, Nortel just sold a whole lot of, uh, a lot of their patents. This is a great way to kind of cash in before it's too late um, for a lot of these companies. And so, um, and and I'm not saying it's too late. Kodak is still trying to find uh, their way around it, Um, uh, but they are, um, you know, they're going to sell off some of those patents and they might, they'll probably be able to sell. If they're selling 1100 patents, remember one patent um, has, uh, has earned them, you know, a billion dollars. Um, so 1100 patents could be sold theoretically for, it could be as much as billions of dollars. Jeez. And what'll be interesting is to see is who buys it. I mean, Apple has, has proven that it can buy any patent at once with the kind of money that it has. So Apple can decide that these are areas more that we want to go into. What?
2: More than our government.
0: Yeah. yeah the, the Apple has more cash <laughs> than the government. So yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so you know, when, when people ask why does ap- Apple have all this money, well, part of this is so that they can make purchases like this. So the question really is is that in the middle of this legal battle, will Apple just buy the patents from a Kodak? Uh, and they're not saying here that Apple is buying the, the, the patents for Kodak, but, but um, it, it most likely could go into some kind of auction situation where Apple, Google, and Microsoft are competing, uh, and many of these patents are very valuable because we're really moving into an information age and an Im- image-based age, and, you know, all these patents are... Um, going to be part of what everyone's doing. If Apple buys it, they'll probably be more interested in stopping people from doing things like what they're doing, um, as opposed to royalties. I don't think they're as interested in royalties as they are in um, protecting their space.
1: Yeah, so so yeah. to the group, so there's this notion of protecting your intellectual property or your patents and this sort of thing, right? And then of late in the news, I've been hearing lots of discussion about patent trolls. So where do you draw the line? You know, first, first of all, what's a, what's a patent troll, and what what makes you know, someone not a patent troll, they're just trying to defend their, their IP?
0: Well, I I think that technically, I think most people, when they, when they talk about patent trolls, what they're talking about is a company that's not making any money with the patent other than suing for the use of the patent. Mm -hmm. So they just patented stuff. They're not actually, they didn't patent it to create a product. They just patented it. Or typically most patent trolls didn't even patent it. What they did is they bought a company with a bunch of patents and now they're making money by just suing everybody. And that's what LoadSys is doing right now. Uh, I I don't think they actually patented anything. I think they bought a company that had had a bunch of patents. And then now they're suing everyone, but they're not actually planning to use any of those patents specifically. When Apple's out suing people, typically it's stuff that is in their products. You know, they have have implemented it in their product. They have it set up in their product. And they're saying, we don't want anyone to do something like what we did because Apple considers its main advantage is its intellectual property. It's not it's not necessarily it now is when they said that earlier, they weren't the biggest company in town. Um, now I think that they're just short of last I saw where they were 16, uh, billion dollars in valuation short of Exxon. So Apple is about to become the, the most, uh, the most valuable company from stock, you know, from their, uh, market, uh, price, uh, in the, in the world. Wow. And so, um, so it's a much different situation now. They are no longer the David and Goliath. They're, they're now G- Goliath, not David. And, uh, But they um, but their argument has always been we you know, the reason that we what we do is not that we are bigger or faster. We just we innovate. And and so that innovation has to be protected by patent law. And that's that's their argument. Some people will take offense to that. Um, They take offense. They say, well, everyone should just compete. Um, It's hard. It's hard because big company when big companies and Apple do it, it doesn't make any sense. It's just like, oh, Apple, you know, they don't. You know, they do it better than everyone else as it is. They're making more money than everybody else. They're more valuable than everyone else. Why do they get that advantage? The real advantage is really for the small guy, the individual inventor who can patent something and no one can just take it from him. Yeah. You know, so that you know they, they can – I patented an idea because there's a lot of things that no one's going to bother to try to patent because they know as soon as I – if 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 uh, if I co- if you couldn't have a patent system, what would happen? And, and the patent system is being – Totally taken advantage of right now, Um, and so that's that's, why it's the the patent trolls, right? Yeah, the patent trolls are just you know. um, uh, I I suggested that Loadsys just meet with all the. uh, I I was suggesting a nice bar in in uh, the Tenderloin in San Francisco. Where all the developers that they're suing, maybe they could just come to an agreement. You know, they could meet at that bar and come to an agreement. Um, and they should just bring all the principles from Loadsys and uh, yeah. and if they if they make it out alive, they're they're good to go. So, I want to
1: get Derek's thought on this. Derek, you know, so there's there's the patent trolls, right? That we were talking about. And that like, like, is it load sis, I guess that people are calling a patent troll because they are their business or a large bulk of their business is from suing people to get money mm-hmm. when they when they infringe. And then there's a the people that are just protecting what's theirs, you know, and trying to make sure. Where, where do you fall on this? I mean, is there a line? Is there a line between this stuff?
3: The, the line is, is very wide and very gray. I, I mean, if you're labeled as a patent troll, that sort of depends on what side of the equation that you're on, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you ask a lot of patent trolls and you go, no, we're just, w- this is our, our business model. We made an investment in this patent or we're protecting a little guy who, who doesn't have the resources to take the big guys to court. Uh, but the the problem is that that defending patents or, or seeking money from patents has become a business model. It's not, it's wandered away from the original idea, which was to protect intellectual property. So I, I think that's one of the things we're dealing with. And then the other problem is a lot of patents overlap. Uh, if you do, there's there software where you can search on, let's say you take one patent for uh, something with a touch device. And uh you read that patent, which you're going to have a hard time getting through that anyway, uh, but you read that patent and then you enter that into software that searches the you know the patents database that The problem is you're probably going to come up with ten fifteen, thirty patents that have overlapping uh same sort of thing, so the approval of patents has the the, the process has broadened over the last few years. I think in part because the federal courts sort of pushed the patent office to uh, you know give patents to software where originally they didn't really want to. Yeah. So now we've now it's not just one patent that you have to deal with. It's there are many patents, and then it depends on who hooks up with someone that has lawyers and has the the money to to try to enforce those patents. And the original idea is like what Alex said, which is. To get licensing fees for them, but I think now that this has become a business, now the idea has expanded to well, we could get more money by threatening court.
0: Well, and and the and the thing that the the original like the really the uh, intention of patents was the idea that you would share your ideas with the rest of the world, and in return, because the other yes, way to do it, like absolutely like, right, like we like our keying software that we use, DVMat. Um, we have not patented how we do that, um, but. As a result, we don't tell anyone how to do it. Like we, we, we keep that code very very so. There's two different ways to go. You don't have to patent anything, um, you know. But the, the essentially what what happens is is that is that we are um, we're very very careful with telling people what that uh, you know we don't tell anyone. I mean, nobody knows other than there's two of us that know how DBMAT does what it does because there's a lot of magic in there. Yeah, that's um, a great and, point. Uh, and so so you can decide to to do it by being very very uh, tricky. Or, what patents do is they they put that into the public knowledge, and in return, you get seven or fourteen really fourteen years of protection you know so that you don 't have to uh, for for fourteen years you get to control how 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 it 's being used, and then after that it becomes something what the design was is that it becomes something that um, everybody can use you know so that that was the idea is to keep that intellectual property flowing into the into the public. Group, and the same with copyrights, by the way, which we've totally ruined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, copyrights were designed for the same thing that you would have a certain amount of time that it would be there and then it would go into public domain. And Disney, you know, twisted that into something else.
3: Yeah, and, and I think the original idea of patents and, and just to some degree, we still are benefiting from that idea, was exactly as you said, to get stuff out there, to get inventions out into uh, the world where other people can license them and then build upon them. So uh, it's, it's gotten a little twisted. Uh, and an interesting thing, going back just to, to the Apple and Kodak situation, uh, I just uh, was reading, I think it was Thursday or Friday, that the judge that is has been reviewing uh, the Kodak versus patent a lot of their disputes decided just to up and retire this week last week. <laughs> <How great. laughs> I don't know if he just said I'm out of here or what, but after like 23 years or something, he decided to up and retire. So now that and he had already ruled uh, in that uh, in, a, in a number of those uh, disputes between Apple and Kodak, he had ruled in Apple's favor. But it it kind of goes to a board and then it has to come back – the board comes back to the judge with some more questions, yada, yada. So it hasn't been resolved yet. So now Jeez. that's going to be hanging in the air for a bit and I don't know if that's going to influence – uh, the, the sale of Kodak patents if Apple may say, well, let's just sit tight for a while and, and see what happens. But it is it is an expensive, protracted process that I think is getting you know, way too much airtime right now. Well, yeah. And
0: the other thing is, is that it's you – know, so there is a certain amount of time to sell them. So if you're doing a utility patent, it's 20 years, and if, and if you're doing a design patent, I think it's 14 years. And so after that, you know, so if you if you patented these things, you know, nineteen you know ninety seven wasn't that that long ago from a technology perspective where you could have thought of how to do some of these things. Maybe we couldn't do them yet, but you thought about them and you patented that design or you patented that um, that process. Uh, you know, those are going to expire, and once they're expired, yeah. they're they're in the you know those those are in the now everyone can use them. You know, the idea is to give first mover status, give someone the, that early advantage, but then to return it back into the you know, to allow anybody to build it, that was the the goal. And so, Kodak has a certain amount of time. They're probably looking at some of these patents that they want to sell. Yeah, and they might be getting a little long in the tooth, and they and they become less valuable as they get closer to the end of that that uh, period.
3: And by the way, I think we're talking about what ten percent of their portfolio here. You know that that's a. That 10, is it
1: ten percent of Kodak's portfolio?
3: Yeah, 10%. yeah. So they're they you know they're they're sitting on a lot of stuff and and I think the point that Alex made earlier is I agree with I don't think uh, Kodak is I think Kodak's trying to buy time so that they can retool uh, for whatever they're going to be next and uh, you know this is this is a great way this is money in the bank if they're able to to pull off a sale. Yeah. All
1: right, guys. Let's let's move on to story number two. Um, <clears throat> this one is about this company called iCam. Um, doing what we've been talking about on the show for a while in terms of why hasn't someone built a frame that allows you to, or an, an SLR system that allows you to use your phone processor, your phone's processor and the brain in it and the UI instead of using the clunky sort of UI that camera manufacturers like Nikon, Sony, and Canon force you to use on the back of the camera. So this company called iCam, has come up with a proof of concept, I think it is, that does this. So, Tyler, I want to throw this to you first and get your thoughts on this, because it looks like it might have some – if this thing was to come to fruition, it might have some implications in terms of, like, doing cool things like time-lapse, for example. You could have a time-lapse UI or app on your phone and load it into there and then, you know, set things up and just program your parameters and let it free. What do you you think
2: about this? Yeah, I think this is just awesome, like we talked about before on the show. I I hope they're uh, patenting this now. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Actually, Alex, Alex, we should have patented this. I I bet they listened to Twip and just stole it from you. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to court
0: right now. You know know what? The funny thing is they can't patent it because we talked about it on on Twip, which means that it's prior art.
2: And we have it archived. We have it. uh, Yeah. 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 I mean, like literally
0: no one could patent. They could patent. Maybe they couldn't patent the the, the design of... Putting an iPhone into a phone camera because we've been talking about this for a year, at least uh, a year or yeah. more. So unless they did it already, or long before we talked about it, they're kind of, you know, this has to be something everyone can, you know, compete over. Oh, you mean, you mean? You mean so they're going to owe us money? Is that what you're saying, Alex? No, no, because we didn't patent it. We, <laughs> oh, once you put it, once no. we put it out publicly, once you talk Fredrick, about it publicly, you doing,
2: you, you're dropping you were, the ball on us, Frederick. Oh man. Oh well. All right. So no, I, 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 I think this is I, an it. incredible thing, and um, you know. There's going to be certain applications, I think, in the high-end pro market where this might not, might not be a good thing for certain cameras just because the iPhone can, you know, be slow on certain things because there's so much going on. And, you know, when you pull up the UI of, like, you know, 1D Mark IV or any pro's camera or Hasselblad, I mean, or RED or whatever, everything's there. It's, like, it's built for the camera. And so you don't have these extra things that might be slowing it down on the network or whatever. But for the prosumer to consumer market, I think this is going to be huge. And there's going to be a lot of power users and a lot of really cool things you are being able to do i mean time lapse alone there's so many um intervalometers and ball ramping and all this you know really high-end uh advanced things that i would love to be able to control my camera and you just can't do it but you can have somebody really smart develop an app for it so yeah. I think it's going to be interesting how this you know it's obviously going to be huge on the consumer and prosumer markets i'm i'm interesting to see like how this develops into the pro markets maybe as an adapter and add on for certain uses. Mm -hmm. But there is a, there is a benefit between having a solid UI between a a camera. I still think on, on, on the high end.
1: You know, Derek, I was going to ask you where, where is this stuff going? So we're looking at these, this is almost like a transformer camera, you know, this (laughs) could be whatever you want it to be. Right. And then a couple of weeks ago we talked about Lytro. In fact, I'm interviewing them, um, two of the higher up, people at the Lytro company on Tuesday for TWIP so, so we'll get the inside hopefully relatively inside scoop on that technology which we'll lets we'll let you focus after the fact so we're seeing all these like advances in both form factor and software and how we even manage capturing light where, where are we going to be in 10 years from now what, what's the landscape going to look like am I going to have a Nikon in my bag or am I going to have like a bunch of pieces that I assemble based on the job
3: Probably gonna have a Nikon in your in your head, right? Is what yeah, you are gonna to have, <laughs> totally, yeah. And a Thunderbolt port on my neck, right? <laughs> exactly, something like that. Just you know, fuel up, man. Uh, it, it's so hard. It is, it's, it's so hard to say. I mean, I think uh, I, what I am enjoying right now are these uh, manufacturers playing with stuff, right? They're playing with ideas. There's You know, it's, it's, it kind of, in a way, goes back to our, our whole idea uh, talk about patents, where they're taking an idea from here and taking an idea from there and say, hey, we could do this with it uh where it's going to go i mean really the in the end the market's going to determine that right because Mm -hmm. it could be the coolest idea in the world and if they sell 15 of them it's it's probably not really going to go anywhere and uh, you know like rico's playing with some cool stuff where they have this camera that has the different modules right so that instead of uh instead of just You want to put Leica lenses on it, then they have like the Leica module that has everything in there, the whole guts and the whole deal. Uh, So... I don't know how many of these things are going to sell, though. So I think in the end, it's fun to watch and it's fun to think about. And I think it's spurring innovation. You know, other people are looking at it and go, "Ooh, they're doing that. Maybe we could do that." And one of one or two of them is going to hit something big with the market, and that'll be the direction that we go.
1: Yeah, it almost feels like we have like this really
3: cool set of Legos right now. That's a great way of putting it. I it, think,
1: but we haven't built anything. We haven't built well, any, You know, well, uh, we
3: haven't built anything that we want to show to mom yet. I mean, <laughs> right? we've, we've got, we've got some things going here, but they're kind of gangly. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: and I, I just, you know, the thing is, I think we have to look at when we, the people who are probably not going to do this are Canon and Nikon. You know, this right. is not, this is they have a, a vested interest and in, and they have development that they've, in my opinion, wasted on their own UI um, because all their UIs stink. You know, and so. Uh, I mean, all these UIs and cameras, these little like push up and down, and all this mm-hmm. other crap. You know, it's it is just a horrible idea. Now, now that we're used to smartphones and and everything else, the, I think the company still. And I've said this since the be- you know since we started talking about this, the company that is in the pole position to do this, that would be most likely to do it, in my opinion, is Sigma because they have lenses, they have a sensor that that, that that's unique, um, and they don't have market share. You know, and so are not significant market share. And I think that. When you somebody at at Sigma, and there's other companies that could do this. Rico, other other companies are going to realize how many iPhones and i iP- you know how many iPhone fours are out there, um, and or, or or whatever that that we could take advantage of there, um, and how many of those folks like for me, if you built a true SLR sensor with a true um, you know a, a true SDK for it or API that people could just program. So the idea is you just create the camera. It's, it's so much easier from the can, camera manufacturer's perspective. You create a camera, and it, you don't have to create how it's going to work. You just create, here's how you control all the things. Now, you 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 can build that app, but you just control, this is how you get stuff from the sensor. This is how you do all the other pieces. Um, and then you create the slide-in for the iPhone 4 or whatever. Um, and the thing is, is then you open up that. If you just create all those hooks, it means that anybody using Xcode and and I in um, an iPhone can just decide how they're going to use your camera. And what it would do is you'd have this and whoever's the first one, the first mover is the one that's going to take the most advantage of this um, is that you would have a hundred different applications on the iTunes, on the iTunes store on that are one's a time-lapse and one is a movie camera version. And one is a, you know, and, and they're, and they're totally, instead of trying to fit all the interface into it, there's an app for that. There's an app to do what, whatever mode you want to be in when you're shooting with that Sensor, You're just providing a sensor and a, and a, and a lens mount and, and, a, and, the, and the CPU power to basically power that sensor and, and provide that, that bandwidth. And, and the thing is, is that it would be much easier for you to build that. And there's a lot of people like me that if it was fully featured, like full, full frame, you know, fully featured API, so on and so forth, I'd drop Canon in a second. Yeah. I mean, it would just, I'd be done. You know, because the thing is, is that, you know, then I can now have now there's a there's a chance that I'll get the features that I want. You know, like Canon, you know, you know, I I use Canon and these stupid cameras don't uh, Nikon. If you open up a Nikon, you can do nine exposure, multi, you know, multi exposure. You can bracket nine frames. And for whatever reason, Canon has decided that three is enough. You know, and and there is nothing I can do about that. Right. You know, because right. Canon has you know. You want,
1: you want to be released from the from the Canon UI and to let you want yeah. to democratize the UI
0: to let people. Well, I just, build I just just don't be- want to. I just don't want to be living inside of their little box anymore because they live in this tiny little box of what they can control and how they can process it and everything else. And I'm just tired of living in that box. So is
1: is the industry ready right now for a company like, say, Apple, like to do what they did with MP3 players and with cell phones? I mean, is is it time for an Apple to come in and say, okay... Let's take some Lytro technology. Let's take some iCam uh, proof of concepts and put our billions of dollars behind it
0: and reinvent the photography hardware space. Can you a- think it's Apple time could for do that? It. Apple could do it. And, and that should keep Canon and Nikon uh, awake at night. Yeah. Because the thing is, is, if Apple decided that they wanted to put a sensor in front of an iPhone 4, they would crush the photography market overnight. I mean, it would take them like you know, 18 months and there'd be nothing left but dust. Because the thing is, is that because apple already has the most popular phone on um Flickr. i mean the most popular uh camera camera on Flickr. yeah, yes, yeah. so the thing is is that they're already you know people are already in that mode and if apple decided that they wanted to expand that with a simple ui that, that put that all together um you know we we'd be talking about canon and nikon selling their patents to keep the you know keep the lights on yeah
1: yeah, it's uh. well oh, we're at the beginning of this again. I feel like yeah. I was born too early. See, yeah, like, <laughs> like ten years. See, Tyler, you're lucky. Ten years from now, it's gonna be a crazy God, landscape. It's scary. It's, it's, it's scary. Insane. I mean, there's
2: just it's just keeping up with different these different technologies coming out. But I mean, you know, this is all just gear, and it's still it's always gonna take someone behind that camera to to make great images, no matter yeah, what. So, absolutely, it's, you know, I I, I I totally agree with everything Alex is saying with this new with setting up and having all the control behind the scenes and having people develop I think that's huge but I still think there's something to say about having a dedicated camera that you know everything about and it's it functions the way it works and I that's just a current mentality because that's what I'm used to and comfortable with on on real gigs that are actually you know paying you don't want something some buggy thing to happen like a, your phone crashing with all the other things going on behind it because the iPhone's a great controller but rem, I mean remember it's it's not just controlling your camera it's still you know, running a ton of stuff in the background and things like well, that. I, but, but if
0: I was doing something dedicated, I would just have an iPhone that was just for the camera. You know, like I no, would. That's, use no, that's no,
2: that's true. But the iPhone isn't isn't going to be made just for that camera. You know, it, at the same time, it's right. like when when Canon comes out with the or Nikon comes out with a new firmware update, they test it against every other function of the camera. That's nothing's going to happen and things like that. And even though it limits you, it's there's still there's still I you know a good thing about that. In the same time, with uh, the way that everything's very heavily tested before they come out the new features. So I could see it, you know, being good for the majority of your work, but it's always that one time where it's just something's gonna be buggy in the app that they develop for it and you know, it's just I gonna think that be the real issue will be good enough. The problem is, is that if Apple did something like this
0: or if somebody else did something like this,
2: Yeah, well, that's the issue different. you
0: get into is that is cool. that is that it would be good enough from you it would be very difficult for someone with a dedicated piece of hardware to compete in the general market with someone with something that is that oh, is a hybrid absolutely. like this and so yeah, what would happen s- is
2: you saw that with phones i mean that's what iphone yeah. did with the phone you know right
0: and so the the, the issue is is in it, it would take you know it would take a decade but within within five or six years it'd be just very hard for you to for a company to only sell a, a camera that just does camera
2: yeah well that's the, that's 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 going to happen no matter what. i mean you see what you know. Red just with their their new uh, Canon PL mount that Vincent took out this this past week. I mean that's incredible. what you right. he just stuck sticking PL Canon lenses it has complete control over autofocus and aperture and everything. On Wait this. a minute. What is this? I, I must have missed. So this. oh so well well you know we talked about the Red camera before, but yeah. for photography I mean they they they're they're developing a PL mount or uh, mounts that go on there. Uh, in the front for to convert from PL mount to a Canon mount or an Nikon mount. Uh-huh. And the Canon the lens, mount that they already have mount, out. Right? It's, what's that? This is a lens mount, right? This is a lens mount, yeah, okay. for, the, for the lenses to put on their, their yep. modular body. So the, the Canon mount they already have out now and working that Vincent Lefret just tested and posted a, a video on is actually full-touch focus, autofocus from the back uh, screen on the red Uh-oh. to control the camera, aperture control. Um, uh you know, it has everything you need to run a, a Canon or Nikon lens onto this RED camera. So, I mean, that's, and that's, that's where, you know, things are going to be, people are going to be mixing and matching these pieces. One thing that Canon will definitely have an advantage on or Nikon is their lens lineup. And that's just across the board. I mean, people with, I do a lot of video work too, obviously. So the F3 camera and these different cameras with PL mounts and they're already starting to, Make Berger mounts, making these adapters. You're going to be able to put these different lens systems on. So, well,
0: and the and the rumor is is that that, that Canon's going after the M- F3 in um,
2: October, November. Hmm. Yeah, that would be that they they need to, yeah. you know, they need to catch up. But, um, yeah, just across the board, it, it is. We have a Lego set of different pieces, and um, for photography and and vid, and filmmaking, it's all going to be coming together. And it's just, yeah, we're going to be calling things a camera in the future, and that camera is going to be pretty powerful. But we're going to still be able to need to able to actually make something with it that's different and, and unique and tell a story so
1: so interesting this stuff this stuff is like on a curve because we when, we when we first started <laughs> talking about this stuff it's I mean it's been a couple of years but there's never any there's never a a uh, what do you call it We are never at a loss for things to talk about in terms of where technology is going with this photography stuff. I remember what was it, two years ago, three years ago, Alex? We were talking about Raw versus JPEG and the merits of RAW and why everyone should be shooting RAW and RAW was the new thing, you know. And now we're And then it was HDR. Yeah, then it was HDR and now we're you know, Lightfield is coming up, you know. There's just all this stuff that just keeps coming. You would think that Oh hey, you know, the the sun which generates our light, its our main light source, has been around for billions of years, you know, so light, the physics of light hasn't changed at right. all, you know, in all this right. time, but our technology for capturing it and storing it has changed dramatically and continues to change at this crazy exponential
2: pace. It's insane. And, and the problem for photographers, you, I mean, you just need to understand that. Uh, don't get caught up in all the technology and all these different techniques. You got to find what you represent and what you what your photography represent and means to you. Because there's just so much I, in any industry. I mean, there's just so much going on. So many different things. You you really do have to find a niche these days. I think of photography to really make it and be successful. And that niche is what you're passionate about. So yeah yeah so
1: speaking of storage, um, I wanted to there was another story in here but i want I want to jump into to just chatting with you guys now that I have you this is a perfect quorum to talk about this topic and and, and get a pulse for where things are in terms of what is what are best practices for storage you know because we, we talk about all these different interfaces and you know different ways to capture light and lenses on reds and all this stuff but the one constant in all this is we're generating more And more and more data which is which is the weak link in my opinion because you're storing all this data it typically you know if you're like most people on moving hardware which can fail you know at a moment's notice so what what's the solution on that piece so we can build all this great stuff on the front end and capture all these beautiful images and put them on a hard drive and then that hard drive goes up in smoke we're screwed so Derek what you know you mentioned at the top of the show that you were working on this Linda title that sort of touches on this
3: that sort of it definitely touches on so it, so good it let's let's dive into that, that. <laughs> so what
1: like summarize it for us like what are the big sort of marker like if you're on a whiteboard you got a fat marker and you're writing down the big pieces or the big squares of what photographers need to be cognizant of when they're building a backup strategy or relatively bulletproof backup strategy for their images?
3: Well, I mean, the first thing you have to do is, is organize your content in some way. So either as basic as a consistent folder naming method all the way up through a digital asset manager. But, you know, that's, that's one thing that at some point you're going to have to do or you're never really going to be able to find your stuff. So, okay, so let's assume that you've done something there. And if not, uh, that would be job one. Yeah. But uh, job two is that you know, you know, the time that you're most vulnerable when you take a shot is right when you take the shot. Because at that moment, it's only living in, in one space Most for most people. It's mm-hmm. living in one space on the memory card. And the rule is that you always want to have it live in at least two spaces. And ideally, uh, more than two spaces at different locations. But At that moment, when you first take the shot, it lives on your memory card. So job one is to get that somewhere safe off the memory card onto somewhere safe. Uh, And hard drives have come down in price, and they're so much more fun than they were a while back. And then don't erase your memory card until that place you put your pictures is in a couple places, right? Because at that moment, it's your backup. I mean, when you upload your shots, that's the first time you have it in two spaces. So, you know, take a deep breath, but don't don't erase that memory card. And then, you know, the thing that I've been enjoying is exploring the state of hard drives lately. And that must be some statement about my life, I'm afraid. But... uh, (laughs) But you are just a barrel monkey's over there, party man. People call me, "Hey, Derek, come over to the patio party and talk about hard drives." (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But uh, one of the things that we're seeing now that I really like by by Western Digital, by Buffalo, even by iOmega, is that you can buy. They look like toasters, right? They're the form factor of a toaster, and uh, they have two. Two, they hold two hard drives, and they automatically implement RAID 1 mirroring. And the small models have one-terabyte drives in each slot, and they go up from there. Uh, the The ones that are at a good price point right now are the ones that have two terabytes in each slot. Yeah. And so then you you connect this thing to your computer, whatever you're doing, and you do your, your backup there. And that gives you the first level of protection, right? Because you're protected against mechanical failure of you know either of those hard drives because they're constantly automatically mirroring to one another. So that, that solves the one problem. And by the way, you can get these things really affordable. I mean, you can get a Buffalo cloud store now that has uh, two 2-terabyte two drives in it. You can connect it to the network and get to it. The demo I did was I was down in Ventura. And I was pulling up photos on my Buffalo Cloud Store that's here in Santa Rosa. You know, oh, I, see
1: that. See that's the big question. That's another big I, question. Now, I, th- I
3: thought that was good movie making for geeks. myself. that's, that's but, awesome. And yeah. I'm,
1: I'm definitely going to look at that. You know, I'm looking at yeah. like I'm sitting at my desk. I'm looking at. I have a couple of Drobo's here, and I used to work at Drobo, so I have a mm-hmm. couple of Drobo's here, and it's one's mirroring to the other one, and that's sort of my first line of defense. Yes. Um. And you know, but. As far as I know, Data Robotics has not come out with anything in terms of like a, a Thunderbolt interface or anything like that. So now I'm looking for something different. What are your opinions on, and I'm being candid here, what are your opinions on implementing Drobos into your storage workflow? Because I didn't hear you mention anything about a Drobo no, in I the didn't. last five minutes. Yeah. No, I
3: didn't. I, you know, I, I thought Drobos were more relevant a few years back when we didn't have these cool appliances by these other manufacturers that just made RAID 1 so easy. Mm-hmm. And my, my complaint with Drobo is that, you know, they put it in this sort of encrypted file system sort of thing. Where if I'm running a Western Digital or an iOmega or Buffalo or whoever, uh, when it mirrors, it's just mirroring data, I mean, you pull out one drive and you can stick it somewhere else and the data is there. It's in the same uh, file structure that you, you know, that you uploaded in it. The drives aren't doing anything to it. And my complaint with, um, a little, well, I got a couple with Drobo actually, but one of my concerns with Drobo is uh, their whole kind of secret encryption system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Beyond Raid, right? Yeah. 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 So, but you can't, uh, and, you know, in the, and I, I've lived this, where I had a problem with a Drobo, and just you know was really worried that I lost my data, and it took me days and days to sort of uh, you know get get things to a stable state again. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: um, so then what, know, what should photographers buy? Because I know people are listening to this in the car or running or whatever, and they're like, okay, there's dozens and dozens of things out there that I could go purchase. And I know we don't want to specifically endorse any particular drive without having tested them all, but like a general sort of rule of thumb. If I'm if I'm thumbing through Amazon or B&H or whatever and I just I need more space right now because for whatever reason, what should I get or what should I be looking for?
3: Well, I've been testing over the last year so I can, you know, kind of give that perspective. I like for just a uh, hard drive uh, backup right at your computer I like the Western Digital Green Drives. I think they're nice and they have low power consumption and they've been speedy and reliable. And if I'm going to do something where I want to have personal cloud storage, where I'm in charge of the server, I think uh, that Buffalo partnering with Pogo Plug, I think they've done a great job and have, you know, you don't have to fool around with things like port tunneling and stuff like that. Yeah. I think they have uh, the easiest solution on the personal cloud side.
1: Very cool, now, Alex, I wanted to throw it to you so Derek, Derek represents sort of the working photographer pro educator you know he does in depth research on this stuff and is the source of wisdom. You are in the trenches generating sometimes terabytes per day of data, and mm-hmm. i know I know you have drobos or, or and other types of data storage deployed at any given moment how do you what 's a general sort of look at how you 're managing all this stuff and making sure that if you know something some storm hits Petaluma, you're not out of business.
0: Right. So uh, the, at the beginning, a lot of the stuff looks very similar to what uh, Derek was talking about. So one of the things when we're capturing, of course, is that we are uh, capturing and, you know, we'll, we'll back up those CF cards uh, to a. Um, uh, to a backup medium, and then keep the data on the CF cards as long as we can. Yep. Uh, typically, we try to bring enough CF cards. You know, we can bring up to eight or twelve of these cards to make sure that we're we have enough for that day of shooting. Um, if we don't, uh, we uh, usually are making sure that we put it onto a mirrored uh, a, a RAID one. Um, so, what we typically carry with us um, to any location is a GTEC safe, which is one version of what uh derek was talking about which is a two drives and we can put in whatever drives we want in them so they're all removable and so we've got um we can slot in we typically will put two either two terabyte or three terabyte drives in them and yeah. so now we but and, and and we don't have to do anything it, it has all the data in it we just plug it into the computer and it's seen as one drive that's three terabytes but it's actually two drives that are three terabytes and it's mirroring the data to them you can pull either one of the drives out at any point in time and and what we'll do is at the end of a project Uh, when we're flying home, because we do a lot of the stuff on the road, we will uh, take the drive and give one one person one drive and the other person the other drive. You know, like the internal drives, we put them in a case. Yeah, Um, WebaTech makes these little cases that look like... uh, uh, look like old-fashioned old cassette tapes. and um, I, I love
3: that. Do you, do you handcuff them to their wrist
0: too? And <laughs> yeah, put them on exactly. separate flights? I, I love that. I love that. Uh, <laughs> we don't put them on separate flights, but we do. Uh, <laughs> typically, you know, what's funny is by ch- by chance, they often end up on separate flights. Well, one ends up in FedEx and the other ends up in the flight. Right. But we are, you know, the thing is, is that if we don't make it home, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're getting paid for a day of work that is in the tens of thousands of dollars. And so if that if that data for whatever reason doesn't get home, you know, we're in big trouble. Yeah. So, yeah. so, uh, um, we, you know, it's, it's a bear, it's not, it's not the price of the drive. It's the, you know, it's the thousands of dollars that are, that's in the content. So we, we do treat it like fissionable material. And, um, so, uh, so once we get back, uh, one of the things that, um, we tend to put a lot of stuff onto, uh, Drobos. So, uh, one of the things that we're just building right now out is a bunch of Drobo Pros that have each. Each client has a Drobo Pro. <laughs> I mean, like we have one internally that we're kind of building out for every uh, client. Now we have that, remember, backed up on two different drives, and those don't get reused. So when we're doing a project, we just we count. You know, the drives are cheap. You know, they're a hundred bucks or whatever. I mean, they're yeah. we're, so that's part of. So we have a backup there, um, and then we have them on the uh, uh, and then we have them on the Drobo. So we have a we have three copies of them there. Um, and they're not in the same location. So, uh, so that's, that's the beginning of that, of that process. Now, typically what happens is, is we're now experimenting with what we want to do as far as cloud storage. Uh, one of the things we're experimenting with is a company called a frame, which lets you put a lot of stuff on the cloud. So we're, we can't, we generate too much content to put it all on the cloud. Yeah. But as far as the final project that we're done with, that's uncompressed, you know, that, that we want to make sure that if we really had to come back to it, we could come back to that. Um, we want to get those things on the cloud. Um, and, um, so A frame is what we're experimenting with in the past. We've used everything from Dropbox to, uh, you know, there's a lot of you know a lot of different things that we we've used in the cloud. And I don't think we've had a, we have a solution that we're we're sold on yet. Um, but the uh, uh, anyway, so that's you know that's that process. We really like Drobo's. I don't like to think about it. Um, I, the so your rate stuff lives on far-
1: that like in, in perpetuity. So you so you one of your clients you, you you they have their dedicated unit, their dedicated Drobo Pro, you
0: have all the data on there. Yeah. What happens after that job is over? So after the drop, no, what, what we do is we are constantly upgrading those. That, the reason that, that RAID 1 doesn't really work for us, and RAID 5 could... Um, but RAID 1 doesn't really work for us is because it's uh, it's symmetrical. So, you know, if we have eight drives, four of them are dedicated, you know, four of them are of each, and that's a little too much for us. We need that to be stacked together a little bit. So, the you know, Drobo or RAID 5 would do it. I don't like to think about RAID 5. I mean, it's just, I don't have to think about all the drives and everything else. And so, so Drobo works really well for us um, where we have, we can lose up to two drives out of, out of the eight that we have there. We're not using the really big ones yet, but we're looking at it. Um, and, uh, you know, eight, you know eight of the you know having um you know you you can get now up, up to about 18 terabytes of, of storage pretty comfortably on one of these drives and so that you know we're we're generating a lot of content but we're not we're we're not generating so much that we can't keep that for a while uh, on there and again we have all we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of raw drives and cassettes I mean you know in these tapes mm-hmm. I mean, as, and and the thing is is that what we do is we're we I, I have to admit for a while we had a really good system of spinning them up you know regularly And we've done a move, and right now we haven't done that for a while. But what we're basically doing is going back into a pattern, or what we're about to do is go back into a pattern where we we basically have someone spinning up ten drives a day. You know, just spin them up, put them back, spin them up, put them back. Uh, And the reason, and that doesn't take very long. But the reason you do that is if you if you leave a drive unused for too long, um, it can seize up. And so, now you don't have that problem necessarily with the drobos because they're constantly being moved around and, and doing what they're doing. And so, um, and and the big thing is, is that you know we're not sure what we want to do. What I can say is that what I like is having a big cloud of storage. And I don't mean in the cloud, but a growing cloud. And what I like about Drobos... take um, like a big yeah. pool of storage, you mean? I like having a big pool of storage yeah. because I want to keep everything in one place. It's very hard to organize it when it's in lots of little drives. It's just very hard to figure out where all the pieces are and build a reasonable process when it's on a whole bunch of different drives. My biggest complaint right now with Drobo is, is that I can't get one that's big enough to hold all of our data. You know, what I really want to get to is a point where we can start stacking the Drobos together or stacking other drives together and building a, like a ZFS dream, you know, mm-hmm. which is that... What, you, what we, you know, our dream is to have a huge pile of storage someday in the cloud, but um, to match it. But a huge stack of storage that is, um, I have a whole bunch of drive systems that are all in one system. And it all looks like possibly different groupings, but all pretty much the same cell of storage that I could keep on moving. And what I'm constantly doing is taking the smallest drives and oldest drives out of the system and putting bigger drives into the system. And that's something you can do that in a micro you know, in a micro world in a Drobo where you're constantly pulling the smallest drives out and, and replacing them with the um, the larger drives and constantly improving that that storage system uh, rather than having to, the problem with the RAID 5 is that all the drives have to be the same. And then you, raid, you know, you raid them all together yeah, and then you have yeah. to change them all together. With a Drobo, we can just keep on organically, you know, increasing their, uh, their storage capacity without having to make that commitment and without having to take weeks of work. Now, we don't really care about the Thunderbolt. Um, process. We care about the Thunderbolt a lot when it's when we're on set. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so we're very excited. Um, uh, you know, we shouldn't hopefully see Thunderbolt this month. Um, as far as a lot of peripherals coming out and the, and computers to take advantage of them, and we're extremely excited about Thunderbolt on set because time is is of the essence for us um, in in a backup strategy we're not that interested. we don't really care it could be you USB. don't need the speed right? it could be usb yeah. as far as we're concerned cuz it's going to happen overnight you know like i'm not going to like what happens with my you know my my aperture library sits on a on a uh, raid 0 so it, it's sitting on a raid 0 but anyway, if any of those drives go bad my ra- my aperture library would be gone yeah. um except for the fact that every night it backs up to the drobo <laughs> so so it's you know and and the most important images are going up to the cloud you know i put i put the mo- the, the keepers are going up in their full format into the cloud. Um, and uh, and so that's, you know, I'm, uh, you know, so I have it in three different places. The reason I keep it on a RAID, of course, is because uh, when I'm actually working on the images, I want it to happen quickly. Yeah. You know, so I want, yep. you know, so, so I have very, very fast. My, my RAID, it's just the internal RAID on my Mac Pro. I'm getting 300 megs a second. So I'm, you know, so it's, it's going to be able to pull those drives faster, um, you know, pull the data, pull the images up faster, preview them faster, work with them faster. So I like that. I like it to be responsive while I'm working, and then overnight I like it to be safe, and then over the long term I like it to be really safe. You so know, then, and, and so then we we looked at so
1: with Derek we looked at managing hundreds of gigabytes. We, Alex, you're managing terabytes and terabytes of data on an almost daily basis. Tyler, you're a mobile freelancer, right, and you're you're dealing with data from jobs that cannot be lost or else you're not going to eat that night right (laughs) so how do you deal with it what what's your what's your flow for making sure that after the shoot a your data is safe and then years later you can access it if you need to refer to it
2: yeah and you know what i always tell people is and and what 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 was already said is excellent information but bottom line is if if you take any one of your photos and it's just ask yourself, where is this photo right now? And if that device crashes on you, what are you going to do? Like, where did it go? Yep. So, if you're in that situation where you don't know where your image is at least backed up two times, then you're in a bad condition. So, and, and a lot of people don't take it that seriously until they until it happens to them or something goes bad. And I think that's why Derek's doing this whole course. Is it is a worldwide problem, and it's not taken seriously enough a lot of the times. Everybody focuses on the final image and and not what they're shooting and, and how to back the stuff up. So I have a, a very similar system to what's been talked about. I have – I put um, two. when I'm on the road, I have to have – you have to have – I look at storage in two different ways. You have to have fast storage, fast things like Alex was talking about, backing things up on set really quick. Yeah. And then you have to have – it's storage just that's a little slower to access, and that's okay. And you can't get caught up in between those two. And if you do, it's it, – so what I do is a, a very similar solution. Actually, the, the cloud store is a really cool – setup i hadn't seen that i use one called newer tech it's a voyager cube it only does the one so i really like the fact that that one does two. but i have uh, two voyager queues that um that back up to the standard uh western digital two terabyte uh green caviar drives or whatever and they're seventy 75 bucks on amazon so it's it's incredible what you can do for the cheap and and you got to remember is like you don't have to buy a hard drive for all this stuff. These 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 um, Western Digital, Digital two terabyte drives are cheap because they don't come with the ports and the enclosures. You just buy that once. Yeah. And so my faster drives I use like a G-Tech, um, G RAID and and those are four terabytes and I have two of those in Pelican cases and I always do I'm, uh, you know uh, I always mirror those. So when I'm when I drop the stuff I. I put it, I drop it on one of the drives before I delete the card. I use ChronoSync on the Mac, and it's a cool application that allows you to um, whatever is on one drive allows you to sync or backup Premiere to another drive. Yeah. And it's the, the one problem with the Mac with the Finder is if you try to sync two folders together, there's there's a copy there, it, it, there's a copy and an overwrite. There's no syncing feature in, in the Windows or the Mac platform. Windows has something better. With 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 syncing, if you like f- drag over, it asks you if you want to really if you want to sync that or add that f- folder. But like, do you want to merge it? Ch- like it's it yeah, will yeah. Make just the changes, right? Yeah, exactly. Of, yeah. So it just makes what's new. So this is really good for that, and you just sync that up. And then I even you know working in uh, Lightroom or Premiere or wh- wherever I'm working or After Effects, it's not just important to to sync your um your images and your raw files, but it's important to sync your make sure all of your um, project files and all of your Lightroom catalogs and stuff are synced too because that's just as big of a deal if you lose all that. So at any given point, the bottom line is look at your workflow that you have right now and say, you know, at any given time, if this one device crashed on me, would I have a backup? And if you don't, you need to find that. And so that's why when I, these little these, these $75 Western terabyte drives, I always have two of them. One goes to New York, one goes to another location. And then I also have the ones on set for the project. And that's just a, a backup yeah. that, I'll, that I that I use on the real time. So. Yeah. The serious stuff.
1: Yeah, so it's all this stuff is really serious, and you know, I think the bottom line is there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I hate that I hate that phrase because I have a cat, but, wow. uh, <laughs> but there's more than one way to skin a cat. But as long as you're skinning that cat, you 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 know you're in a good spot. Don't just rely if your data is on one in one spot, like on the internal hard drive in your MacBook Pro, and that's the only place where your images reside you need to rethink your strategy and sort of re-listen to this episode or when Derek's title comes out, go get that and, and figure out how you can make sure that you're, you're safe. Derek, when's,
3: when's your title coming out? I'm hoping for by the end of September. Very cool. So don't lose yeah. your
1: data between now and the end of September. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean,
3: I think you made a great point. You know, I, I started doing a little informal poll at all my workshops and classes that I teach. How many of you only have your stuff on your computer, your photos? And these are people that are enthusiasts, right? They're paying money to go to workshops and stuff it was over half over yeah, the last year crazy. over half only had and it just i go i'm really nervous for you guys because you these are important things these are your 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 memories and your artwork yes. and,
1: and
0: uh and cds and dvds don't count no optical media yeah. worth less
3: I did, I, I did not even did not even cover it i did not even mention the word dvd in the title yeah. it's it, really, it's it, half is, stuff, is it dead is optical dead derek it's, oh God, is it,
0: Alex, don't even, get, stuff, <laughs> don't, don't get me and Alex going on this. If, if your stuff yes. is on, if your stuff is on CD and DVD, you need to get it off right now. Yeah. Like Why? right now. because Why? It's it is, bulletproof. It is not it's permanent. Stable, it, is, it is not a stable environment. Oh, I mean, it's I. not permanent. Oh my gosh. It is, it is not so not permanent. And it's, it's like, and it's, you know, especially those CDs that you bought for 50 cents each. Um, those are flaking after a couple of years and you know, that data is gone. And so, so you really, you need to get that stuff off, um, now not, you know, I, I was backing some stuff up and I got through some old CDs and literally a third of them, I couldn't get all the data off of them, you know? And now, unfortunately I had most of that in other places, they were the backups, but, but and I had to go find them, and I've lost some data because I put it on because I put it on CD, thinking, well, that'll be good for a couple of years, and it wasn't. So, so, uh, um, and really a bummer. I lost some early stuff, you know, that I, you know, that I recorded a long time ago, you know. And what's crazy is, is that my iOmega, uh, what do they call them? What were those zip, uh, zips? Zips. zip drives? Jazz. Yeah. yeah the data that. on my zip drive is still working. You know, from like the mid '90s, and my CDs from you know five years ago aren't. So, so anyway, the point is, is that uh, um, you need to get if you have stuff on optical, go out and buy a drive today um, and (laughs) uh, and get all that. Because remember, one of the one a one terabyte drive probably will take your entire CD library and put it on there. So put it on two of them, and then wait for Derek's thing to come out and figure out how you're going to put the rest of them on. But get them off those CDs. Awesome. All right, guys, let's move on. Before we do that. Alex, who's our other sponsor of this episode? Our other sponsor is Hover, and uh, it, you know I have a great story about this. I was just you know, so we've been advertising Hover and talking about it, and um, and I realized I had had I had other people buying URLs, but I hadn't bought one, and um, so I was buying a URL. Um, I'm working on this goofy ad, and uh, I needed a URL, and I so I used it. So I went up to Hover and I and I signed up and I did the did all the pieces. And what Hover does is they only work on they only do your URL, you know, your your domain and your email. They don't do anything else. So it's not like the gauntlet. If anyone else has used other services, it's like this gauntlet of, and would you like this? And would you like that? And would you like some fries? And would you like some tomatoes? And would you like some, you know? And it's just this constant, like, and but they and and and, and like, mo- you know, no, I, I'd like to move on. Is like this tiny little button you're not, that's you're not hitting something. GoDaddy, are you? I'm not. Re- <laughs> I'm not representing anything. I would not talk about those things. Uh, but I. Uh, but hey, anyway, cool. so the... But it's like but all of them are like that, you know, because that's where they make their money. They don't make their money on doing the real service that you came for. They make money on all the ancillary things. And so they're all pushing all these other pieces and all these other services they could provide for you. And what Hover does is they do one thing and they do it really well. And so I so I signed up and I did it all and I get about halfway through and I'm done. And I'm like, well, that that was all it took? You know, like it was it was done. It was done, and, and it was easy, and it, it's a great interface, and it's really comfortable. And so, anyway, what Hover does is it's, it it allows you to you know get that that you that uh, that domain, uh, get your email service set up, and uh, you know it's just it's so much simpler and so much more straightforward. Uh, and it you know and it's just a lot you know it, it doesn't have all the services. Not trying to, it, it does one thing really well. Also, a lot of you, I mean, I I don't know anything about domains, you know, and so the thing is, if you have problems, you have. Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern, when you call, you'll get a real person. A real person. Wow. You know, like it, no-hold policy, you're not going to sit, you know, you know, not going to hold on for 12 minutes or 20 minutes or two hours or whatever it is. Uh, is. You're actually going to get a person who actually knows what they're talking about and they can actually walk you through the process. And so it's a no-hold policy, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., Monday through Friday. And so if you need help to move your domains to hover, which is what I'm about to do with all of our domains. Um, and, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, it's just, it's so much more straightforward. Now, you can... Uh, Actually, uh, you know, get started by going to hover. dot com slash twip, and uh, you know, get get in there, and um, you know, you can you know use your you know create your own uh, URL, get your own domain, and it's just a much simpler uh, process. So make sure to go to hover. dot com slash twip, um, and uh, and go from there.
2: Awesome. I just want to say one quick thing on that because I haven't used hover yet and it seems like a really great idea. And I'm saying this to a lot of photographers out there because there's more and more websites. If you go to 500 pixels or Squarespace or these different online hosting websites and they or Tumblr and they give you the access to have your own domain name mapped into it. And you don't need like you don't need to have a hosted server or any of those things to use that feature to get right. your website up. So I think this is actually. Just a really cool way. If if you want to have your website or, or your Tumblr account or your right. um, 500 pixel account, say yourname.com, you know, come check this out because that's definitely one of the easier ways I've seen to do that.
0: Right. And if exactly. you want to get and, and exactly. the big thing is, if you want to make your email par- address part of your, you know, personal brand with your, you know, new email, you know, you can set all yeah. of that stuff with Hover. You can get that all done. You don't need exactly what Tyler's saying. You don't need to have all the other stuff. The, that that stuff is you don't want to have necessarily have it. I mean, not, not anymore. You
2: are- I I have my own server and I'm hosting WordPress on it. And if you're, that's the only reason why I use that server. Everything, you know, Dropbox right. is out. All these other online. Web service are out, so it's a different time than it used to be with needing those different services. I think yeah. right, and 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 you can
0: still be using your Gmail account, just having it. Uh, alias through whatever you want to do. So instead of everyone emailing you at Gmail, you can create your business name, register it, and then use. Still keep on using Gmail if that's what you're comfortable with. Your it's web really access, all those things
2: to, for new clients to see that It really yeah. makes you look a lot more professional. When yeah. You have a, a your your account for your business, not just a Gmail account. So G- G- Gmail well?
0: is fly by night. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh oh, <laughs> not a fan, Alex. No, no, no. I mean, no. I, I, you we we. If you email me at at pixelcore.com, Alex at pixelcore.com com you are yeah, i'm reading that through gmail yeah.
2: same here so my i'm saying is through it yep, but yeah
0: right so it's all alias through through but i'm but but we use gmail as as our um as our as our backbone for better or for worse sometimes for worse um and uh uh but so so that's the that's that aliasing feature that tyler was just talking about yep yep perfect all right, guys, we are going
1: to move on, and geez, this hour goes by really fast. Let's jump into the picks of the week. This is the this is the point on the show where each guest gives their pick, and this can be software, hardware, uh, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it's related to photography. Um, and Tyler Ginter, I'm going to throw it to you first. What is
2: your pick of the week? Um, actually, <laughs> we've nerded out a lot on this show, and I'm going to nerd out a little bit more. Uh-oh. with we, well. <laughs> You know, we talked a lot about backup, um, but there's another really cool thing that I've been getting into lately with um, starting up this business with uh, a couple of my friends for post-production and photography and things like that. And there's a, a huge need for project management tools. And I don't know if anybody's messed with project management in the past, but they're all yeah. the ones I've been using are all nightmares. Um, and they're extremely expensive. So there's a new uh, setup our new system being developed by the co-founder of Facebook. He quit Facebook. A bunch of guys from Google, a bunch of guys from Facebook came together, and they're working on this beta for a, uh, for Asana. It's asana. dot com. So I'm in the beta program right now, but I highly recommend you look out for this. Um, I see it as in the next couple years is really taking the way we think about email and all this different information when you're working with a team and collaborating on a project of photographers or clients or you have lighting design and you have makeup and hair and all these different things going on in a photo set. Um, this is a way to communicate with people and have all the information in on one place be able to assign tasks to different people and um, it's done way better than anything else I've seen.
1: Now, no, I'm, I'm using 37Signals Basecamp.
2: Oh, it blows Basecamp away. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, of, that's a lot of that's a lot of blowing way. going on to blow well, Basecamp because Basecamp saying, is pretty strong. It's very strong, but what these guys, too, the, the, the difference is is they their theory and their marketing theory is from the bottom up. So they want to put this in the hands of people for free. And so, hmm. uh, you know, Basecamp, you know, to get a membership, you're the company, whoever it has to be from the top down because the company has to invest thousands of dollars a year, if not more, to set up all their members and all their users to to access it. Yeah. So they want to reinvent the way this is done in, in a way that Gmail reinvented email Ooh. and so um, and get it into the hands of people at the bottom. And then people at the bottom, the companies are just freelancers, can start to integrate this and use this and have all their information in one place and start assigning to different people. And so it's it's definitely really interesting, and I've been using it for a couple weeks now with with our company and it's, it's everything's in one place now for our information, Which just like backing stuff up. I feel it's the same when, it, when you're talking about things to do and, and, and ideas and inspiration that comes across and you put that all in one place and you have certain people accessing certain parts of that information. It really helps you streamline things. So wow. yeah, keep an eye out for it. I really think it's going to be powerful. So it's, it's a, it's a closed beta right now. It's a closed beta, but um, if you, if you send them uh, ask them to join it, they took me a day. And, and if you're a, you know, a freelance photographer, somebody that works in the, or collaborates in a group, they'd, I definitely guarantee they'd be open to uh, letting you in. So
1: Cool. All right. I'll have to check that out. I'm, uh, I'm using Basecamp, so I'm, you know, hey, maybe this will open my eyes. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah. All right. Next up, Mr. Derek's Story. Derek, what's your pick of the week?
3: Uh, I have a $2.99 pick of the week this week. Oh, thank week. goodness. <laughs> <laughs> because Alex will have a $2,000 pick. Hey! <laughs> Now, Alex is quickly working on his other pick of the week.
1: Yeah, he's looking it up. I'm giving him time. You notice that, right?
3: <laughs> he's going to undercut me by a buck. Uh, $1.99. No, I'm going to go with the iPad app this week. I haven't gone with one for a while. But uh, I started playing with Photographer's Contract Maker, uh, $2.99, uh, iPad app. And what it allows you to do is uh, you have – it comes with four basic contracts already – uh, and the most important one for me is the one that has the model release on it. And essentially uh, it has the contract language and you can fill it out very quickly. And then you sign it with your finger, you know, using the touch thing and the model signs it. And then uh, I have a, mine's a 3G uh, iPad. So then uh, you can have it sent as a PDF to both yourself and the model, you know, right on the spot. So, you know, they just like fill it out. You send it off and it's done. It's done. Everyone has it in their inbox already, and they have a couple other. They have a copyright release uh, contract in there and a second shooter, work for hire, uh, uh-huh. and a photo shoot. and it's, And it's it took me probably about fifteen minutes to sort of get the hang of how how he has it set up, but uh, it's pretty cool. It was two ninety nine. Photographer's contract maker. And uh, there's no apostrophe S, so it's It's photog- yeah. <laughs> contract maker. And it's by uh, Michael the Maven, who I don't, you know, I, I've checked out this guy's site. And Michael, if you're listening, uh, you, you just do some crazy stuff. Uh, but he is a very busy guy. He's very, he's, he's very entrepreneurial and, and has all sorts of stuff going on. Wow. I'd I like to meet him someday, but I, I, I like it. And the thing about it is now sometimes I forget my paper releases, and especially when I'm just out traveling on vacation or whatever, and you have a chance for a great portrait out of nowhere, and I, I just want to be covered and want to make sure I just get the model release right then and say, hey, do you mind signing the model release? Which, for me, people always say yes.
1: Very cool, because you're so tall and intimidating. That's
3: why. Yeah, I scare them into signatures. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you will I, sign this. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's awesome.
0: All right. Thanks, Derek. Alex, what is your pick? So by the way, I just I have, I've signed up for the beta. Um, I'm I'm uh, Asana. Uh, with the yeah. <laughs> and I and I bought um I bought the app. So 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 far we're two for two as okay. far as um, this being not a very expensive. Uh, anyway, um, uh, uh, so the one we talked about this a, a little bit on Twip Live, uh, but I thought I would um, bring it up again as a official pick. Um, it's something that I'm using a lot of, and it's called Grid It. Um, did you remember this? Uh, what I was actually using it for, uh, Frederick, is the um, is all my little connectors that I, yeah, that I have. I remember that thing? Yeah, that Andy introduced you to, right? Yes, Andy introduced it to me on MacBreak, and then I've been using it, and uh, and I just have to I needed to have an excuse to to pick it because it's just so awesome. So what what GridIt is is um, it, it seems simple enough. Um, All it is is a bunch of little stretchy, uh, little stretchy. It's a patch of grid, a gridded like um, of spandex, but it's like it looks like a um, like a plaid like mixture of these spandex. And what they are is they just give you lots of different sizes of of stretchy compartments that you can just kind of throw cabling into. And it's turned out that I'm starting to use it for a lot of things. And they come in a couple different sizes. But when you're thinking about all those little cables and little knickknacks that you're trying to figure out where to put them in, they turn into this big pile of you know, uh, uh, goo in your um, in your bag. Mm-hmm. You know that there's just that those random things that you don't know where to put them. Uh, and uh, I know I don't know about your photography bag, but my photography bag had little cables and connectors and all kinds of things. You just want to have them all. You want to kind of have them visible so you can kind of grab onto them. You don't necessarily want them all like you're digging through a bag. Um, that is what I'm finding this to be very, very useful for, and it's only you know seven or ten bucks. It's not not particularly expensive, um, and they come in a couple different sizes. And I'm starting to use all of them. I started with one that was just for my. I have a lot of. I speak a lot, and so I have pretty much every connector made for the to inter- interface a Mac or an iPad into a projector. And it started to turn. You know, if you have all of them, it starts to turn into a real mess. And um, and so I uh, needed to find a way to kind of. Fix that, or to rationalize that, and so that, thats what I got it for. Um, but now I'm using it for you know a lot of my USB cables and, and everything else, and it's just cleaned up my bag uh, a lot. And so, um, so anyway, it's a nice little uh, it's a nice little doodad um, that uh, that holds your doodads. It's a doodad that holds your doodads. And it's not that expensive. How much is it? It's like diff- depending on what size you get. I think it's anywhere from seven to twenty bucks.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at a I'm looking at a grid on their page now of gridits.
0: <laughs> yep. And you, yeah, exactly. There's, they, they come in a bunch of different, I, it turns out the middle one is the one that turned out to be perfect for me because in my Cotta bag, in my 467, it, the middle sized one, which is about, I think it's like three or four inches by 10 inches or whatever, sits right in the base of that. So I can just set it down. I actually set it upside down so that it's flat. So then I can set other things on top of it. Right. Anyway, works great. All
1: right. Well, check it out. All right. And my pick really quickly is a technique. So, uh, how many of you guys remember this, this old format called GIF? You know? And then. I heard of that. Remember that? It was like this old 256 uh, color
3: format of, and then you could do animations, right? Yeah, I I remember them threatening to to sue us all (laughs) for for using their technology. That's what I remember. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't. I don't think they did, did they? No. Anyway, the the
1: format is, I think it was one of the first formats on the web that allowed you to actually display images and all kinds of cool things Um, and some not so cool things like flashing you know, buy now things and all that. So basically, it's an image format that lets you represent 256 colors and have multiple frames within the image. So you can have basically allows you to do animation. And there's this new thing I, I don't know if it's new, but I'm going to call it new because it's new to me. Um, where this technique where you use it to create fine art photography with certain elements of the image that move. So instead of doing a buy now flashing, you know, thing and throwing it on your web page and making it look like crap, you create this image of, say, a girl or a model and have her hair sort of blowing in the wind and put that on a loop. So when people look at the image, it's still a static image, but pieces of the image move kind of like Harry Potter style.
3: yeah i i think i've seen it on uh google plus i've seen kind of a lot of that stuff embedded yeah it's yeah Yeah.
1: because people a lot of people use it because you can use um gifs as your icon on lots of Mm. social networks people are animating their little you know images or their avatars um but this takes it a step further you're actually making a large image and you know, for example, it's like a subway scene, and there's a guy. I'm looking at some examples now, and we'll link to these. There's a guy sitting in a, on a subway, and you can see the movement of the train, and you know, moving in the background. And his newspaper is sort of moving around as he turns the pages. But that's the; those are the only things that move in this in the shot. And it's really kind of an interesting way to take something old like GIF technology and. Apply it you know, and do something creative and new with it it 's pretty interesting and I, it's particularly Tyler Tyler I wanted to get your thoughts on that I know because you're in the whole stop motion sort of realm of photography, and this is sort of like stop motion but not what do, what do you think of this thing
2: no, it looks cool i mean it's it's um there's all different levels of it of of doing these techniques and things, so it's definitely a good option i mean uh nothing beats you know full fledged d s l r as well but yeah, totally. uh, you know. <laughs> I think it's, I think, th- you know, that, that's, uh, I don't know if anybody saw the latest. It was the biggest stop motion animation created in the world yeah. was used with a ni- Nokia phone. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. technology is interesting these days. It's yeah. Things yeah. are,
1: things are moving fast. Things are moving fast. All right. Well, cool. We're at the end of the show, guys. Um, before, get, Tyler, where are you at? Where are you at online where people can find you and see some of the things that you're working on in your new found
2: freedom? Um, You can check out my blog at uh, TylerGinter.com or follow updates at Twitter.com forward slash TylerGinter.
1: Very cool. And Derek Story, where are you at?
3: www.thedigitalstory.com.
1: The Digital Story. And Alex Lindsay, where can people go to find out about
0: you? Uh, It's just easiest to follow me on Twitter. Just so it's, uh, yeah, Just Alex Lindsay, all one word. Uh you can also follow the Pixel Core. We're doing live uh streams at six o'clock every week. Different subjects. Uh, this next sub next week uh it's going to be visual effects, so we're gonna talk about green screen. Uh and so it's Thursdays,
1: right? Thursdays at six o'clock?
0: Yep. Yep. And so this Thursday, uh, last Thursday, was uh, Gear Media Tech. I talked to Brent By about lighting uh, for video, and uh, I talked a little bit about sound. And uh, this next week is going to be a live one. Where people can ask questions, and, and we answer the questions live. So it's like a, it's like a huge user group, except uh, most people are all online. And it's really built... For the folks online, not for the folks in the studio. Um, there's just a handful of people there uh, doing what they do. So uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. So come check it out at six o'clock Pacific Standard Time uh, at pixelcore.com/slash live. And you can just follow me or Pixelcore. Uh, so I'm Alex Lindsay and Pixelcore uh, on, um, and it's CORPS, by the way, like Marine Corps, not not like uh, Apple Corps. Yes. Um, and um, and uh, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Alex. Mm hmm.
1: And to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Google Plus profile, our Facebook fan page, and our Twitter page, and so much more. And if you haven't already, grab your copy of our free 10 Twips tips. 10 TWIP tips. <laughs> she wore seashells at the sea. <laughs> our 10 TWIP tips ebook. You can find it at thisweekinphoto.com slash ebook. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com, my Google Plus page at fvj.me slash plus, or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash frederickvan. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off.